2: Today and welcome to the call 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour it is tuesday the 27th of june i'm andrew gagan great to have you with us here and let me introduce our experts for today's show mark Morland from team invest mark good to see you good to see you too andrew and luke winchester from meriwether capital luke how are you good thanks mate good all right well let's uh, let's get into it been interesting uh, on the local market of course over the last few days where we've seen some pretty heavy selling. Uh, today being the exception, we've broken that, uh, that four day run of, uh, of selling, in fact, to be up uh, around two thirds of percent thus far. Um, <coughs> Luke, what are your observations? Of course, we're at near the end of the, uh, the financial year. Is you sort of factoring that in, a lot of uh, perhaps a tax loss selling?
0: Hundred percent, yeah. Trying to get to the end of the week, end of financial year. I think that tax loss selling, particularly, you know, at the smaller end where I play the the liquid stocks, and if you've had names that have put in a bit of a poor year, a, a natural target for someone to um, you know take their losses and, and and move on, and you know, hopefully greener pastures ahead for FY 24. Uh, but I think you're right, Andrew. I think you know, particularly the last couple of days, the last week or so, is where you're seeing that tax loss selling really be probably the dominant factor um, in in certain. Pockets of the market?
2: Yeah, because Mark, I mean, we've seen, yeah, you know, take a look at the US market, it's yep. uh, really leapt ahead over the past six months. Yep. You're now looking at investors perhaps thinking a little overboard at these levels?
1: Or uh, well, depends on the company. I mean, the tr- trouble is when we talk about the market, it's the whole lot. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you look at Nvidia, and there's only a few stocks really that have um, been the cause of the, ma- the most of the increase. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're tech stocks again. But uh, we, are, we live in a, a tech-enhanced exponential age, I think, so yeah. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think the deck will get shuffled a bit, but yep. even if you look at AI and so on and the impact of that, it really is going to help the big players like the uh, Microsoft and um, even Am- Amazon's announcing new things they're doing, and obviously Apple and so on. So it's going to be very good for them. Um, but um, you know, I think uh, Musk said probably one of the first trillionaires ever created will be through AI, mm. personal trillionaires. is probably true. Yep. Uh, from an investability point of view, I think the, the the companies that are benefiting from it or who have a clear path of doing that, and I think Apple uh, last week when it came out with its um, um, release of its new products and the new uh, Apple Goggles. did you see it mm. absolutely mind-blowing yeah you know i think what it's done is it's sort of proven or ch- proven where people were wrong when they said oh now that jobs has gone apple's lost its mojo and can't come up with new things really uh whereas i think that's about as significant as the iphone was it's yeah like I, technology you, change you so, feel
2: as though we're at a cusp of another revolution you i know, think don't so you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah very yeah. exciting yeah, it is exciting yeah. but also a little daunting at the same time <laughs> it <laughs> is little... scary scary exciting yeah yeah. yeah 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 great way to sum it up All right, let's uh, take a look at the first five stocks we're going to look at on the show today. Polynova, Bank of Queensland, Mineral Resources, Carnaby Resources, and EnviroSuite. Our stock of the day is Medibank Private. APRA telling it to set aside $250 million in extra capital after the insurer's data breach last year, where a hacker stole the personal information of around 10 million current and former customers, releasing it to the dark web, and the banking regulator now conducting a targeted technology review of Medibank, citing weaknesses it identified in its information security after the network intrusion. Medibank in response saying it will continue to provide its full support and work with APRA, but hold sufficient existing capital to meet the adjustments and won't be reducing its target health insurance required capital ratio. Yeah, in fact, you heard from the chief executive, David Koska this morning saying it has strong and it is well capitalized at this point to meet those requirements. So, Mark, yeah, we know those issues. In fact, the stock sort of bounced back um, after that. It's sort of Australians tend to take in this, these sort of um, intrusions in their stride now, unfortunately. Uh, but when you're looking at Medibank Private, what are you what are you watching here?
1: I uh, wouldn't watch anything. It's oh, okay. uh, Medibank Private is a very very ordinary business. Uh, if you look at their um, earnings growth, it's negative 2.7 per year average over the last six years. And I'm looking at the 10 year chart, and basically since 2000 and 16, I'll be kind and say it's flat, as in there's no growth at all. So it's dead flat. So there's no EPS growth rate. Now that's, you can still make a return on a company with no growth if they run it well and you get a good dividend. Mm. Uh, the problem is it's on a 24 PE. So so the market's paying a very high multiple for no growth. And you go, well, how does that equate to your returns? Well, it's not good. And we're showing it returning uh, negative 0.1% a year. So let's say no growth, no return. Zero. Yeah. So why would you buy it hmm. now? If you want to get a ten percent return, which by the way, ten percent uh, is not a really high return, particularly in an environment where we've got six percent inflation, you you couldn't pay more than two dollars ninety for it. At the moment, it's currently three fifty eight. So it it would have to go down you know quite a quite a ways to be able to even get a ten percent return. So I have zero interest in it. It's a mediocre company.
2: All right. No. And
1: it, of course, there's 250 million they have to put aside. Yeah. If they're not going to change their capital ratio, how can that not hurt uh, d- uh, shareholders and dividends?
2: Right. Okay. All right. What, what about more broadly in the insurers? How do you view them? Uh,
1: well, we like um, NIB, yep. NHF. Uh, they're much more entrepreneurial and they operate in part outside the regulated environment. I mean, the problem with the health insurers is it's a, it's a completely regulated market, so yep. it's very difficult to uh, actually make good money. And they have these equalisation payments where, uh, like, NIB used to have to pay to Medibank uh, a, a big slab every year because their profile of insured losses was lower than Medibank's. In other words, they had an older one. So they're going, hang on, that's not fair. Yeah. You're making more money, so give them some. And you go, well, great, that's just, what a great business to be in. <laughs> it's about the opposite of being able to control your destiny.
2: All right, Luke. So Mark's certainly not interested. What about you?
0: Yeah, I basically agree. I mean, it's a mediocre business, but it's defensive business. And I think that's the the aspect that the market's really jumping on. You know, we we're just talking about um, a bit of a nervous market at the minute, particularly coming to year end. There's a lot of worries, you know, over macroeconomics, um, you know, the consumer. The one thing we know is that, you know, health insurance like this, it will be steady. Um, you'll get your government mandated three to four percent increase every year, and it'll it'll tick along. Um, I agree with Mark though. I think the market's paying too high a price for that defensiveness. Um, you know, it's about twenty times earnings. I think it's a sort of business you'd like to probably buy about fifteen times earnings. Um, if you equate that to the dividend yields, about four percent, you'd probably like to see that get up towards five five and a bit. Um, if you look at the announcement today, it, it's a slap on the wrist from Mapper. I mean, really, it's it's nothing. I, I think the the negative reaction—it's off a few percent—is mostly because of this technology review. Um, you know, Medibank Private, no doubt, is a big bureaucratic beast of a business. Um, its technology processes, I'm sure, are subpar. And you know, the the outcome of this review is probably some sort of transformation IT project that you know we see the big four banks embark on every few years. Mm. Um, so, for me, look. I would I would hold it if you're someone who is just ultra defensive and just wants that as an aspect from your investments. Otherwise, I agree with Mark. Seek seek um, somewhere else if you're looking for any sort of capital growth out of your uh, portfolio. All
2: right. Okay. That is our stock of the day, <coughs> MediBank Private. Let's get into the ones as picked by you. The first one, Polynovo. Uh, if you want to know about this one, it is a medical device company. develops um, medical devices utilizing its bio Biodegradable uh, polymer technology. Um, I know Luke, you can explain this. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's sales. In fact, um, last time I looked, uh, actually accelerating on a monthly basis, getting into new markets. It's certainly got a focus in the states at the moment. Recently launched its MTX product. Luke, tell us more.
0: Yeah, Novo's Orb's their main product. It's the treatment of uh, burns. So um, competes with a couple of other companies on the ASX like Avita Medical and I think Aroa um, Biosurgery. Um, if you ask me the exact science and the differences in their products, I, I couldn't tell you, Andrew. But I, I know they sort of go after that same target market. Um, look, I mean, you know, the, the, the positives you can take from this business, as you said, sales are, are accelerating and off a low base, accelerating quite fast. Um, you know, looking back through their recent announcements, March was. A record month for them for six million revenue, um, and then two months later, May was you know um, another record month with seven mil revenue. So you're seeing you know month on month acceleration, which is which is really good, and it's, it's what you want from this type of business. Um, Executive David Williams, um, Kidder Williams um, is where he comes from, corporate advisory business. He is a the chairman here, buy, owns a lot of stock and has been buying more on market, very much putting his money where his mouth is, which is good to see. Um, slightly loss-making, but there's plenty of cash in the bank. For me, though, it's just the price that you're paying today already factors in, you know, a huge level of success. It's close to a billion-dollar market cap, um, and as we said, you know, they'll probably do sales around you know, maybe 50 mil or a bit more than that for the year. Um, profits, you know, still still probably loss making. Um, so for me, you know, a, a bit too speculative. But look, I must admit, if you are that sort of investor willing to, to speculate, you're at least seeing what you want to see, which is that that revenue top line, you know, not just growing, but growing fast and accelerating, as you said, that exponential sort of growth, which is what's really exciting. So I can sort of see the market's excitement. But for me, the price is a bit too much. Best I can say is a hold.
2: Yep, okay, Mark. Um, Biotechs are um,
1: always very difficult, particularly when they're not profitable. Like CSL's biotech, (laughs) but that's a good one. Hmm. Uh, Polynova may be a good one eventually, but they've got 10 years history. And I agree with Luke that the sales have actually been increasing quite strongly since 2018, but their profits were going up uh, well, they've been all over the place, really. But their revenue—not sorry, their uh, earnings—actually mm. uh, um, started increasing in uh, to 21 to 22, and then they fell off a cliff. And it's gone into a much—it's into a bigger, a bigger um, loss, which isn't encouraging. You know, so in other words, they're getting the extra sales, but they and their earnings are going the other way. Yeah. Uh, look. All the things Luke said are true and I think the key word he used was speculative because it really, until it starts getting into a, having a sustainable business where it has regular clients, where it's making a profit, it's very hard to put a value on it. And the trouble is prior to that there's no P.E. ratio even. So it's very difficult to know uh, how much you're paying, like what does that mean? So as soon as they make a profit you'll get a P.E. ratio and it'll be horrible as in really high, Mm. Uh, currently negative six on return on equity, which is, you know, it's got a fair way to go to get in the black. But look, it might. But it's not something we would uh, be interested in.
2: All right. Just take that as a no, not interested at this point. But you're willing to watch it?
1: No. (laughs) Okay, right. Life's too short. All right. <laughs> I don't want to watch 2,000 companies. I just like to watch the ones I like.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, I get to where you're coming from. All right, let's uh, move into the financials. Bank of Queensland, uh, picked by Terence, uh, recently announced an update on internal and external reviews um, leading to an identification of well, deficiencies in its operational resilience, risk culture, governance, and... Um, Anytime you mention a review of a company, I guess that rings a few alarm bells. But I guess more broadly, in the context of banking stocks, Mark, how do you view Bank of Queensland? Uh,
1: well, we're talking about banking stocks initially. Um, we're very cool on banking stocks. We haven't actually been positive about them for the last few years, actually. But uh, uh, interestingly, at Berkshire Hathaway, at Buffett's AGM this year, they really did a lot on, talked a lot about the risks in, um, now they're talking about US banking, mm. uh, particularly in the regional banks, which is...
2: Well, we know what's happening B-
1: there. BOQ. Yeah. Uh, now, it's not exactly the same here, but the, a lot of the drivers that they're talking about are valid here as well. Now, the problem with Bank of Queensland is it's on a 14.5 PE and its EPS growth rate is running 8 so since 2018 it's, been, its earnings have been dropping. Mm. Its return on equity has been dropping. In other words, it's all been a pretty sorry state of affairs. Um, and what that equates to is a negative 4% return if you bought it at the uh, current price from our point of view. In other words, if BO, BOQ, forgetting all the problems they've got, yeah. they just continue the way they've been continuing, it'll lose 4% a year on your investment. So right. <clears throat> um, No, no, I'd have zero interest in this. Any banks you'd be interested? Oh in? well, the only bank the, the 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 only bank that's not really a bank is Macquarie. Yeah, right. Uh, which is a different cup of tea, and that's done very well. Um, but it's a different thing, really. Even though they provide banking services a lot more than a bank, but uh, of the banks, Combank's probably still the best one. But they're all overpriced, I think, for the headwinds they've got coming forward. You know, with potential defaults, and uh, there's a whole range of pressures with uh, inflation and high interest rates and. Eventually, unemployment, which hasn't happened yet, but to me and our members, we believe the banks have got a lot of headwinds.
2: Luke,
0: uh, pretty comfortable sell, Andrew. Um, okay. I agree with everything, particularly on the on the banks as a sector. Um, but but Bank of Queensland, even looking at it specifically, I think has has bigger problems, you know, than, than those larger big four peers. Um, you know, you only have to look through their, their most recent announcements at the half year result. You know, again, go back to what we said about Medibank private and having to embark on, you know, transformational IT refreshing <laughs> projects. You know, Bank of Queensland doing the same. Um, we'll probably see that written off in a few years and another one come in as they inevitably do. Uh, but also APRA and Austrac, um, you know, enforcing some undertakings on on the business, we'll wait and see what happens there, be that fines or restrictions on lending or whatnot. Um, but the biggest one for me is, is you go back and look at what this business has done over the last few years. They really ramped up their home loan exposure uh, post-COVID. And, you know, you look at any bank's reports and, and those loans issued, you know, late 2020 and into 2021 are, are the you know, loans most at risk of, of problems of, of bad debts and defaults. And I think that's where a good chunk of their book would sit. So, um, you know, seven times earnings optically looks cheap and I could see why people might look at it and think it looks interesting. You can't look backwards with a business like this. I think those earnings are coming down. Um, and on a forward basis basis it's it's probably more expensive than that um and you're much better off sitting you know if you wanted bank exposure you know sit with those more defensive big four peers than, than something like this
2: all right that's a sell from you actually mark was that was Still, that a, yep a sell from you too mm-hmm. all right yep okay all right let's uh, move from the uh financials in to the materials uh specifically we're going to take a look at mineral resources. In fact, Mark, I'm going to start with you because this question is directed at you, uh, picked by Robert. Uh, he wants to know, Mark, from you, he seems says he seems to remember that uh, you thought that mineral resources would be $150 by mid this year, where we're at right now. You can stand corrected. I'll get to you in a second. <laughs> he says it's one of his core holdings and it seems undervalued to me. So where to now, Mark? Um, yeah, I remember that
1: conversation. In fact, it was based on a query someone brought on Nosbiz, I think when Quarry or someone came out with a uh, a forecast I mean, could be, it would go to 150 That's what it was. And I agreed that it could. But I wasn't putting a time frame. I said it could. Right. And it can. Yep. It still can. Yep. Nothing's changed on that. We don't do uh, time-based price predictions because the market does what the market does. Uh, it's currently about $69. Uh, it's one of my largest holdings. So I'm very uh, still very committed to Mint. As far as Team Invest is concerned, it's a very popular company within Team Invest as well because we have a long history with uh, Chris Ellison, the uh, CEO. We think he's the best Capital allocator in the uh, in the country as far as uh, in the mining space, and he's got a history of being able to engineer very very favourable deals for shareholders, no matter what the playing field or how it changes. Bear in mind though, they still are a, they're more of a miner now than they were a mining services company. Back in the old days, they used to be purely mining services basically, and they were contract crushers. They've grown out of that. So we've sort of gone with them because normally we don't like miners, but because we're sort of in there already and we really like him. It's a bit of an outlier for us. It's actually quite
2: diversified now, It's very it? diversified. Because, in fact, they just updated saying they've got uh, a, a significant natural gas discovery in yes. North Uragala. Uh, yep. Uh, plus, they've updated, too, on their Mount Marion lithium mine as well.
1: That's right. Uh, it's with- a much more complex business. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, it's very capital intensive, and they're actually spending a lot of capital at the moment, which is why, from our point of view, the stability's gone. It actually fails on stability now, but that's not a reflection on the business. It's more the fact of how he's operating. He's buying and selling assets and doing deals, so it's a very different beast to what it was even five years ago. Um, we're very confident in their future of the way they're positioned because they have vertically integrated uh, their uh, lithium through to hydroxide. So they make, they're making they're virtually mining it. Uh, turning it into spodumene, and then with JVs, with abamal and Gangfeng and so on in China, uh, turning it into hydroxide, which then goes in straight into the battery metals. Yep. So unlike other miners in Australia, they're getting the full chain of the uh, profit on these things. So which I think is very exciting, and that's not going to change anytime soon. There's heaps of new lithium discoveries all the time, but they're a, a miles away from where uh, Min is. So Min, Min has full off-take agreements, and you know their, their business is basically locked in pretty well uh, from an earnings point of view going forward. So we think Min's going to generate massive uh, free cash flow over the next couple of years, but uh, the risks are is the businesses are growing significantly, they're, uh, they're using more finance, they've got a lot more moving parts and they have a massive labour shortage in WA. So it's very, very difficult for them to uh, recruit the required teams. I think short, there's a shortage over there of like 30,000 people or something, it's massive in, in the mining area. So They're all competing for it, uh, not just men, <clears throat> but they're challenges. I think Chris uh, Ellison will prevail and it will all be good, which is why I'm quite happy to stay there. But I'm not doing any predictions the price could go down and a lot of those changes in the price up or down will be dependent on what happens with uh, largely lithium and to a lesser extent iron ore prices because they're large miners in iron as well. Yeah. So, no, so I'm, 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 that's I'm, a I'm totally happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hold. It's yeah. a hold. Okay. And it, it could be a good buy right now, by the way. But I, I'm not suggesting that because we don't uh, look
2: at. it. Well, I know you're not putting a time frame. on do no. You know, mention there it could go at. Well, my one, average, to My average my, But
1: I bought it from five dollars up to 40. I've paid, and my average is 1850. Okay. So, well, it, and i so I'm nowhere really near underwater. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, don't,
1: <laughs> I really don't. I'm not worrying about it. It's it's a. Uh, it's absolutely. I'm absolutely happy.
2: Yeah. Okay. Luke, now, much like Mark, I know you're not a fan of resource companies in general, but uh, how how do you rate mineral resources then?
0: Um, Generally not a fan of resources, but when I used to run a mid-cap fund, mineral resources was the only miner I owned in that fund. Um, I agree with everything Mark just said. Chris Ellison, he does separate himself from a lot of the other CEOs in the sector. Um, and you see that straight away, like even today, going back and looking at the business for the first time in a while. Um, the first slide they put up in their presentation, one of their key metrics is return on invested capital. Um, he thinks about capital allocation very differently than other CEOs and, and measures the returns he's getting, not just in the short term, but over the long term as well. Um, and you see that by how he counter-cyclically invests I mean he invested in lithium when lithium prices were bombed out and, and the market didn't want to touch the the commodity um, and then you watch him he'll he'll come out and you know with lithium booming he'll probably spin off some of their assets and, and look to you know reinvest in the next bombed out commodity which could be you know energy which you, you know he's looking at at the minute so um, I agree with Mark it's a business you know that you're looking to to, to build a position and hold for the long term with a good capital allocator and a good team in place um, you're trying to to, to pick the ups and downs of a, of a cyclical commodity exposed business is always tough and so you know is it cheap today it's hard to say on on a one or two year view because mark's completely right it would be, it depend on where lithium prices go iron ore prices but i think what you can confidently say is if you look out five ten years with you know as long as chris ellison and his team are still at the helm um you know they'll be they'll be accreting value for shareholders over that time and you'll do quite well so i would say hold if you don't have a position you know for me like i said it's not something you rush out and, and buy straight away but this is the sort of stock you just add to over time to to, to get the sort of sizing that you want and then maybe you know keep that sizing around a, a comfortable level on the on the big runs you know like it got a couple of years ago on the back of the the lithium um sort of uh, mania so mm. yeah uh hold, hold for the program yep
2: okay all right well let's move on to our next one which uh, we're going to double down on resources just for you luke Uh, It's Carnaby Resources, very different proposition here. Uh, It is uh, exploration and development focused on copper and gold uh, in Queensland, also in the Pilbara region as well, most recently reporting what it calls stunning assay results in its uh, copper-gold project in Mount Isa. Uh, Mark's having a chuckle, but we're going to start with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I need to get my, uh, you know, thesaurus out and, and try and figure out, out of all these, um, of all these words they use, which one's actually the best? Is it magnificent or stunning or yeah. fantastic?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, it's re- ringing your alarm bells for your straight away, isn't it?
0: Yeah, oh, they all do it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing gets carnaby. Um, it, it's, it's hard. Look, this... this is right the other spectrum from, from mineral resources um yeah. you know as a, a speculative explorer uh, you know had, had a quick look at it though you know it looks like the resource in the ground is quite good um the other thing as well is Oz Minerals owns about 5% of the business that's always interesting to me because you know go back to mineral resources, one of the things that Chris Ellison does as a capital allocator is he will invest small parcels into explorers like this, um, keep an eye on them, and then you know when the time's right, acquire them and bring that resource into the business. So you always pay attention when you see a larger peer having a a small stake in an explorer. Um, But other than that, it's hard for me to to add too much more value, Andrew. I mean, copper is a, you know, there's there's a lot of bulls for copper right now. There's a a lot of people saying it's in a structural demand and that, you know, particularly the rise of EVs and the electrification of everything will need a lot more copper into the future. Um, you don't see that in the copper price right now or all these explorers who, you know, their prices aren't really moving with that thematic. Um, so, you know, if, if you're someone there who, who wants that sort of exposure, that sort of speculation, you know, I, I can't tell someone to sell it, um, and and it looks it sort of ticks the boxes of what I'm looking for. If, if I was looking to speculate in that space, like I said, good resource. It looks like you've got a, a larger piece, sort of validating you know the reason that you're there as well.
2: So what am I taking that? So I'll hold.
0: A- yeah, yeah, I'd
2: hold it. A specky hold, maybe. Specky yeah. hold.
0: Yeah. That's-
2: yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Mark.
1: Um, yeah, they've got they've got seven years of stories. You know, and that's quite a while now. The tr- look, the trouble with these companies, and I, I, t- I totally concur with l- l- what Luke said. They, they, they may uh, come good, but I read their blurb this morning as well, and they're also in, they're also reckon they've got lithium as well, of course, because lithium's sexy too. But copper is is I think is the uh, number one problem at the moment in the supply side of what's out there versus what is needed mm. for this whole green agenda is the one that's glaring. Uh, I was talking to my Glencore uh, friend who's, who's a board, on the board of Glencore, and they're the biggest commodity traders mm. in the world. And they said they can't believe how cheap copper is at the moment. There's basically uh, the stocks they have in the London Metal Exchange and so on are all like virtually nothing. Yep. There's no stock. And there's very constrained supply chain based on the demand. So copper, you know, it's sort of, it's, it seems to me like it's at a point where, you know, it's going to start moving purely on supply and demand metrics, which is the main game at the end of the day. Having said that, investing in companies that have Potential copper in the ground and so on—it's a long way away from actually selling copper and getting a return on it. But they—they'll—if—if—that's if right, and copper does jump up, then the companies that do have copper in their name or um, have have some resources would probably uh, benefit significantly. Well, so it's in the spec—it's in the spec area.
2: Well, particularly it's a long-term story. We know, yeah. as you talk about, you need that it. Structural, which that deficit in uh, in copper. So I guess
1: But there's a lot more lithium around than there is copper.
2: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. okay, it's speculative. Yep. But on that basis, then, I mean, I know you're still reluctant to get into this space, but I wouldn't. you still wouldn't. No, no,
1: because it's a, it's a, it's a philosophical, philosophically, it's the how you approach investing, what your philosophies are, and you need to stick to your rules. Yeah. Because otherwise, you, you get lost. <clears throat> because you need to be a real expert, even for, as Luke said, to, to understand what they have in the ground and how good it is, whether whether it is stunning or not. Uh, you know, you've got to have a fair bit of knowledge to be able to even make that calculation, or to I wouldn't be, I wouldn't know where to start. Yep. So then you'd be relying on third parties and that's their opinion, so I'd much rather deal in businesses where I can understand what the business does and uh, make a judgement or say in the in Min situation what their performance is, what it's been in the past, what the management's like. You're in, on much stronger ground than you are buying something that's purely speculative.
2: Alright, well on that basis I don't hold great hope for our next pick, Mark, which is Yeah. Uh, let's get to that one picked by uh, Charlie. It develops and sells environmental management um, technology solutions. Uh, it uh, posts a loss in its most recent uh, financial year of around 13 million market cap, um, 97 mil thereabouts. Uh, so it's small. Um, how do you look in Verizon Suite? Uh, well, I've never heard of it until uh, this
1: morning. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, That's not a good sign. Sorry, so have had a look at it. Um, yeah, it's, lo- it's losing, losing money. So it's got a negative return on equity of about 10% a year. It's got 10 years history, though. So you sort of wonder now. This company must have been in business before it listed, so there must have been a private history before that. You don't just list mm. out, of, out of thin air, usually. So it's more than ten years history, but they still haven't been able to make any money. And they they manage um, uh, looks like software and so on that reports on water and uh, greeny type things for airports and you know areas which you would have thought were quite lucrative, but they don't make any money. So when do they start making money? Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean, and if you look at that chart. Looking at those blocks, it looks like it's very um, illiquid. Uh, illiquid as yeah. well, which is n- not a, a game sh- stopper in itself. But it's that that also means there's not a lot, of, um, a lot of not a lot of interest in the market. Uh, and I have zero interest in it. And it's hard to make any. I can't get anything out of the numbers that would make me get excited.
2: All right, Luke, it's over to you to save the day.
0: Oh, struggle to do that, Andrew. Um, I know the business, so that's yeah. a, that's a positive. Yeah. I, you know, as a, as a microcap investor, it's one that um, you know I've I've it's been on my radar for a while. Um, it's come up before, and I think the phrase I've used is I, I want to like this business. You know, it's 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 software. It's in that environmental monitoring space. You can see the tailwinds for what these guys do around noise pollution, water pollution, um, environmental monitoring. Um, as Mark said, though, the problem is is like a lot of small cap tech companies the struggle to actually reach profitability, sustainable um, cash flows, it's just eluded them for a while. And, you know, it's not because of an insignificant revenue base. This is a business that does, you know, 50 million in recurring revenue. but um, still even even on that level of revenue base, struggles to, to generate a profit. A couple of red flags. So the first one is, despite being a software business, their gross margins are only about 50%. That's sort of that's well below where you'd expect a software business, and to me says there's a lot of maybe consulting revenue or something like that in what they do, um, or it's not as scalable as as some of your pure software peers. Um, And the other red flag is the the guidance they've got of working towards profitability is under their adjusted EBITDA metric. Now, you've got to be so careful with with EBITDA. I mean, I won't go into what Warren Buffett calls (laughs) EBITDA, but... The problem you have for software businesses is, is if they capitalise development um, onto the balance sheet, then you can have a large cash expense you know, underneath that metric. So you can re- be reporting a profitable adjusted EBITDA metric and then you know, still be very much um, loss-making from a cash flow point of view, depending on how much capitalised software development is coming in behind it. So um, look, there's a bit of appetite for m a around these beaten down tech stocks at the minute. It wouldn't surprise me if a business like this, you know, if we wake up, one morning in, in the next few weeks or months and there's an acquisition um but i struggle to get enthused andrew and to be honest i, I suspect we're seeing a, you know the victim of, of that tax loss selling we were talking about at the start of the program um I'd, I'd just be sitting on the sidelines with this one um if if you own it i i guess you hold it it's, it's, it'd be tough to sell it here um but yeah it's a, it's a tough hold
2: Yep. Okay. All right. That's a pretty negative assessment then for EnviroSweet. All right. Let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day was uh, Medibank Private. Uh, well, Mark calling it a very ordinary business uh, with uh, high multiples, no growth, uh, for no growth there. Uh, well, if he was pushed to it, he prefers uh, NIB, but pretty much an avoid then from Mark. Uh, Luke tends to agree, mediocre, but a defensive business, but too expensive. Uh, He's saying, calling it a hold if you're ultra defensive. Um, To our stocks as picked by you, Polynovo, the medical device company. Uh, Luke, sales sales accelerating fast, he says, but it is loss-making. It is just too speculative at this point, but he would be holding it. Um, Mark saying, yeah, very specky, hard to put a value on it. It is a no. Bank of Queensland, the regional bank there. Um, well, it's a sell from Mark and a sell from Luke. So uh, none more to be said there, really. Uh, not a good assessment there for Bank of Queensland. Into the resource space, mineral resources. Well, this question was actually pointed uh, directly at Mark. Look, he is a, a huge fan, one of his largest holdings, fan of uh, Chris Ellison. Uh, it's He points out, though, it is capital-intensive, uh, but he does have a hold on it, as does Luke. And then staying in the resources space, can't it be resources? Uh, that's uh, exploration, development of uh, copper and gold. Uh, a speculative explorer, Luke says, you know, if you push to it, you hold it. But Mark, once again, not interested. And finally, their Enviro Suite. EnviroSuite, um, as Mark points out, a 10-year history of making... Well, loss making, no. And a no also from Luke, if he was pushed to it, maybe a hold if you do own it. All right, let's uh, summarise our uh, portfolio. That's where tracking our own high conviction fund is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that committee is live for you to watch at osbiz.com. So check in on the update. Going into June, South 32 was replaced by Altium. Woodside Energy was removed. Its weighting of 3% was split between CSL, Linus and West Farmers. Elders was removed. Its weighting was split between the newly added Avita Medical and RPM Global. And uh, checking out the performance thus far, would have taken a bit of hit over the last week. And in fact, we are down to just over 5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception. At March last year. So keep sending in the requests, keep this call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. All right, the next five we're going to be taking a look at JB Hi Fi, Appen, Healthier, Grain Core, and A2 Milk. All right, let's get into the retailer, JB Hi Fi, picked by Parva. Uh, it is uh, well, obviously difficult space at the moment given uh, the sort of spending falling across a broad range of of retailers Uh, perhaps we're at a tipping point we'll find out from uh, both Mark and Luke what their thoughts are but uh, more specifically I guess um, JB Hi-Fi Mark let's start with you then how would you assess you know given where the economy is traveling at the moment uh, everyone's trying to sort of Mm -hmm. avoid spending too much particularly as far as those discretionary stocks are concerned well that's what the media says Okay, so what, you think that's
1: not accurate? Oh, yeah, I think what people make a mistake of is they look at one company, like Adairs came out with a poor, I think they were down 13% Mm. um, on sales. And then uh, uh, the market assumes, well, there you go, there's the canary in the coal mine. That proves that consumer spending is off. Therefore, all the other retailers will suffer accordingly. The reality is it's never quite like that because they're retailers and they are retailers and they're, they're all managing different businesses and a lot of it comes down to how you manage your stock and a whole range of things dictates what your uh, performance will be. JB, high, JB Hi-Fi has been a very, very long-term high performer in that it, manage, it seems to manage to tweak the business all the time to be selling what people want and, uh, and, and does it very successfully. They've got very, very high stability, 91.7% earnings stability over the last six years and 98% stability in sales, which is quite amazing and they're currently on 7.8 PE. Now their earnings growth, which is what drives all all your ultimate returns, Mm. um, have averaged 24% a year over the last six years, which is enormous. So this is an unusual company in that it's, it's a high growth business, we can talk about the growth issues in a second, but it's a high growth business, consistently high growth, and it's on a very, very low PE of 7.8. Now, what that does, that equates to your returns. And if JB Hi-Fi just continue what they've been doing successfully, mm. uh, we've got it returning over 20% on a margin of safety, let alone on our default settings. So it's absolutely a buy. Now, the mitigating things to consider, are they have come out and said that uh, earning, uh, the um, sales have been softer. They haven't come out with any warnings or anything, and they report soon which sort of, we've, we've discussed this with our members. So is it a buyer, should you buy it now? 7.8 PE, just to put this in context, is at the very bottom of JB Hi-Fi's trading range. That's the very bottom, 7.8. And if you go back and look at history, 10 years ago, back in the days before free money and expansion appears, JB Hi-Fi's um, PE range was between 8 and 15. So if you look at historically before free money, that was JB Hi-Fi's range. Now, one of the things we're concerned about when we look at a lot of companies is these super high PEs saying they can come down as interest rates have gone up. You know, that means they will come down. Mm. Where's JB Hi-Fi's going to go down? It's Mm. already at 7.8. So the market is already factoring in a significant downturn. That's what that is. The reason it's so low, the market's going, oh, it's going to be really bad. It's already in the price. So even if it is bad, even if it does come off somewhat on a five-year horizon, Jabil is a screaming bargain.
2: Right, to buy. Yep. Okay, Luke, do you agree with analysis?
0: Um, yeah, mostly. Um, I certainly agree that it's, you know <laughs> the weaknesses in the price. Yeah. Um, the question just becomes like how bad will the short term be. So so Mark's right. If you look at the last update, it was given to the third quarter, end of March um, and the numbers were still pretty good. Um, It slowed down to about flat growth year on year. Um, I guess what the market's looking at is that most of the other retailers, and I agree with Mark's point, we're talking about retailers that aren't as high quality as JB Hi-Fi. So that's a big caveat to this conversation. But most of the other retailers like Adairs, Dusk, Baby Bunting, Best and Less, um, they all reported that weakness really started in April. April and particularly post Easter, it sounds like that we as consumers, you know, the broader consumer, um, we sort of had one last hurrah over Easter um, and then have really tightened the belt since then. So I think the market's certainly, you know, wary of what this fourth quarter result will look like. Um, but again, it becomes a question of time frame. And I think Mark has, has framed it in a, in a very good way, which is over the next year, the market's pricing in weakness. What will that weakness look like? You know, very hard to say. Uh, if you assume that the average market Multiple for JB Hi-Fi is around sort of 15 times earnings, then where it is today, you'd expect earnings to be cut in half. That's effectively what the market's saying, you know, pricing the PE around seven or eight. Um, is that accurate? Ah, who knows? But if you look at that sort of three, five, ten-year time frame, I think you do quite well uh, buying JB Hi-Fi at this price and to be honest I think you know even a basket of retailers you'd probably do quite well buying around these prices but you need the stomach for volatility no doubt about that particularly the next 6-12 months will be you know probably you, you'll see you'll see some real volatility around earnings and updates um you know the other thing that I, I think Mark was touching on a little bit, and I agree with, is you know when you go through these periods of weakness, the good businesses come out. This the other the other side stronger. You know JB Hi-Fi will take market share from from weaker competitors and, and smaller competitors and consolidate and become mm. out a bigger, more profitable business. So, um, is it a screaming buy? I, I don't know if I can be that enthusiastic, but I actually I actually will say buy. Uh, yep. But again. You need that longer term time frame which Mark is, is coming is coming with. He's spot on there. It's it's not a six month trading buy. No no way at all.
2: Yeah. Well either way, it's going to the investment committee because it is a yeah. double buy, whether it's screaming or
1: it's also it's also paying eight point eight and a half percent fully frank dividend. Yep. Oh, well, so that's about 12% of dividend as well.
2: Okay. You're talking about a win-win here. Yeah, I suppose, okay. you, you
1: know, just if you look at it, I know screaming probably, a, I'm getting a bit down, mate. It's not very often <laughs> I get one that I really <laughs> In like. In the context yeah. of where we yeah. play yeah, yeah. the first half right. of the show. Yeah, yeah. But if yeah. you have Medibank or your Bank of Queensland, yep. why not sell those dogs and put it into Joby Halfway? You'd be All far right. better off. Okay. All men for that matter. There's a strategy right <laughs>
2: yeah. there. All right. Let's get into the next one then. Now, we're talking about AI at the top of the show there with Mark. Uh, you'd think any company at the moment that is linked to AI would be doing well. And then you have it's, uh This one's picked by uh, Mike, in fact. Uh, look, uh, yeah, AI data services company did provide a week training update. Uh, also, the company's uh, CFO is stepping down less than two months of the role, which uh, is also... Uh, not a good sign, and you just look over the past five years, it's been a tale of woe for shareholders. It has been on a steady downward trajectory, certainly since the beginning of COVID. Luke, tell us about Apple.
0: Well, you summed it up quite well, Andrew. I mean, it's been... You know, an absolute debacle for, for the business management shareholders. It, it's been tough last couple of years. And, and as you said, this is in the context of what should be some huge tailwinds for this business. Um, I think they play up their exposure to AI a bit. I mean, they have no direct exposure, exposure to AI. They're, they're the picks and shovels to it in a sense where, you know, they provide the, the, the human labour which will annotate, um, you know, speech, data, images, and feed that into AI systems. Systems which will then, you know, self learn and, and be able to, um, you know, reproduce the, the artificial intelligence into the future. Um, yeah, there's the share price chart there. It's, it's been a tough ride. Um, look, I actually still think this is a sell. I, I think if you look at the business today, despite that share price chart, you know, you're looking at a five year chart which is down, um, you know, 82 percent. But from that high, it's you know, probably 95 percent. Um, it's still on a 350 mil market capitalization. You know, it's not a small business by any means. There's a lot of expectations still priced in here. Um, and if you look at where that where they were back in 2020, 2021, you know, they earned some some decent profit margins. But I think those days are past it. But what really worries me about this business is you get downgrades all the time from from companies and and you often maybe get one or two and and you know the first downgrade okay things happen the second downgrade sometimes management are a bit more optimistic about the turnaround or what needs to happen to you know fix the business when you get 5 6 i i don't even know i should have went back and counted but there's been you know probably yeah 5 or 6 downgrades from appen over the last couple of years to me signals this management team and to be fair there is a new management team in place but they have no real idea about their business or its competitive position in the market, to, to me, to, to be downgrading that many times. Something's wrong in, in that mm. sense. So, uh, you know, it's and it's not profitable. It's losing money, lost $12 million through the first, um, you know, through to April this year. Um, I think it's a sell, despite, yeah. you know, the pain you've suffered. I, I, I just don't think it turns around.
2: Yeah, all right. You've justified that. Get out if you're in it. Mark, is Can that, you
1: add to that? This, this is an interesting business, actually. We used yeah. to like it, right? And so it was classed as a wealth winner for us. And I actually went when I looked at the price and real, I didn't know it had gone down to two dollars thirty. <laughs> I mean, I was actually shocked to see that. Right. Uh, we haven't talked about it in Team Invest for a couple of years, so we and I went back and had a look at our reports on it. And we actually did in two twenty was our change of view. We had one group passed it, and one group failed it, and the big concern, and then a really big uncertain one, and it was all to do with AI and disruptive technology because Appen. All they did—you've got to think about their business—and um, uh, it's already been summed up. But uh, what they did is they had a team of like a million of people around the world, so they were like a labour hire business where those people would then look at an image and in that in that language say, "Oh, that's a, a cat laying upside down under a couch or something." You know, so it was all about uh, feeding the, um, the boxes and AI. so on yeah. for the. Facebooks and the Googles of the world, they've only yep. got five, they only had basically five major clients. And guess who the five clients were? The biggest IT companies, which are the ones that are most strongly positioned in AI now. What do they need to happen for? Mm. And we thought at the time, this looks like a logical disruptive uh, disruption to the business. Because why can't the AI's do that? You know, much more efficiently than a million people around the world. Yeah, and you know, that's that was my view, and I sold it, so I didn't get it at the top. I sold it down off, a bit off, but we, I'm, I'm pleased to say we actually picked that up early, and and we haven't talked about it ever since. And that's why I said I couldn't believe it's down at two dollars thirty. I mean, that's a massive drop. Now, because of their client base and who they are, how would Appen be able to provide any services in AI to them? Yep. You know, being real. I mean, it's, I think they've served their purpose. You know, they've, they've helped educate, they've trained these machines and so on, but the market's now, the world's now moved on. Appen's business model, I would think, is totally... Uh, basically defunct, but they mm. still have earnings. So I don't know. Uh, um, you know, look, I don't know what's going on. No idea.
2: All right. So that's a big no. Oh, yep, avoid. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's move on to healthier. This one picked by Tyler uh, Health Group, representing around thirty health brands, serving local communities. Well, look, it's allied healthcare provider. Uh, began with a string of acquisitions here. Mark, can you tell us more about this? No. Okay. All right. Maybe <laughs> Luke wants to start. <laughs> Go. yeah all right uh
0: you summed it up well so it's a roll-up of, of allied health providers uh, focuses on like podiatry and um chiropractors things like that um chart looks pretty ugly and, and to be honest when i look at it at First, I thought it was a bit of an overreaction, it's particularly if you look at the profit and loss. It doesn't look too bad. Um, you know, trading on about 17 times earnings. Um, I, I'm making some adjustments to that. Always be careful when you get sort of, particularly for these businesses that are making lots of acquisitions. You know, management will often have their version of profits, but it, it'll exclude a lot of stuff like acquisition costs, restructuring costs, um, things like that. So, um, about on my numbers, about 17 times earnings, not. You know, not super expensive, it's probably quite defensive in the area it plays. I think what worries the market, and, and rightfully so, is the balance sheet looks pretty stretched for this business. Um, 80 mil debt on the balance sheet, and then another, um, I did have it jotted down here, um, another $60 million in lease liabilities. Um, so you know, you've got a, a pretty stretched balance sheet from what I can see, and the cash flow behind the business probably doesn't support that level of debt. Um, they raised capital back in October last year, and what I did notice, and I think is worth paying attention to, is they completed the institutional component of that raise for ten million dollars. When they tried to get an additional five million dollars from their um, retail holders um, entitlements, they were trying to raise five million and only raised one. So to me, you know, you've already tapped some institutional holders on the shoulder back in October. They're now all underwater from I think it was a dollar forty price. You tried to get your existing retail holders to chip in as well. They didn't do it i think the market's looking at this business and saying you probably need to raise capital but where are you going to get it from mm-hmm. um you know you probably need to convince the institutions to come in again yeah. uh, and i don't think they're going to come in at anywhere near you know they're going to want a big discount i guess you know a big margin of safety before they put more money into this business so i'd be watching that balance sheet pretty carefully at the next report um and in particular the cash flows coming in to support the level of debt and, and lease liabilities they have so um yeah i'd Be on the sidelines. Um, If you're there, just like I said, watch watch that level of debt and watch those cash flows. Because I think the profit and loss makes this business look a little bit more attractive than what I think it is.
2: Okay, all right, Mark, you can make this short. Uh, because they're running out of time. Oh, yeah, no, I agree with all that. I think th- this is a good example of,
1: uh, we're showing them with about 105% debt to equity, you know, which is o- way over our safe limit. And I think Luke made a very good point there. We're in a much tighter uh, financing uh, regime now. So you know, companies that have, have who are heavily indebted are a significant risk. And I would just suggest to uh, viewers that they have a look at them. And if you've got a lot of, uh, they've got high debt, it's even more than normal, you should avoid the yeah, because if they can't raise money, they can't grow, and this looks like a roll-up model. They're buying private companies, and we don't like roll-ups. They tend to they tend to go alright for a while, then fall in a heap because the owners of private companies, once they sell into a corporate structure, hate it because it's like they now they now have bosses and bureaucracy and all the rest of it. And they tend, they, it all they tend to go well for a while whilst they're getting the uplift on the PE ratio from a private purchase to the listed uh, value, yep. and then implode.
2: All right, that's pretty much a no then for healthier. Right, let's get into one that's a little more familiar. Grain Corp, the integrated uh, grains business, largest grain storage and handling business in the country, uh, benefiting obviously from another bumper harvest off those uh, healthy winter rains. Mark, at Rain Corp. Uh, yeah the grain corpse uh,
1: is okay it, it doesn 't pass our uh, filters we 're showing it on a p of three, so it looks very very cheap. Um, its stability is very poor, but that 's in large part because, as you mentioned they 've just had a good uh, grain harvest and so on, so the earnings have jumped right up so earnings over the last uh, last two years since twenty one have been you know, really from their point of view pretty spectacular. Um, and that mean, and the share price doesn't look like it's gone up in concert. So the p come down. So that that's that's, that's actually a good sign. Mm. But over the long term, uh, what else can I tell you? Uh, debt's like debt's manageable. It's a it's obviously a very solid business, but it it is uh, impacted by the agricultural cycle, which is hard. So it's hard to predict it. Uh, we're showing it returning at the moment uh, 8.6 on a margin of safety and about 15 on default based on if it continues performing the way it has. And that's in part because the PE is very, very low. Uh, it's also doing it has a payout ratio of five, 5.1. So payout ratio is 15%. They pay out 5.1. So they don't pay out a massive amount. Um, uh, the yield's 5.1, sorry. Be frank. Right, so about seven or something.
2: So, what would you be doing with it?
1: Uh, it it's not. It, it's if it it's the mediocre category that I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> before, so for me, if you've got it already and you like it, I'd say it's a hold. hold. But I wouldn't buy it. No.
2: Yep. Okay. Look.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a hold. Um, it's not a bad business, and and they've actually I, I looked at this a while ago, Andrew, and it's, it, they've done a very good job. The management team of trying to remove a little bit of the cyclicality to where they're more of a ticket clipper um, through through um, you know their milling facilities and and also logistics network, um, and and taking away less so the pricing and more the the production. Um, it's so tough investing in cyclicals that you know they came out with as mark said bumper results the last couple of years upgraded guidance at the half year result and the share price looks the way it does because of course the market's always looking sort of 12 to 18 months ahead and saying you know you're probably peaking here on your earnings cycle and we see that coming down um, a little bit like jb hi-fi i suspect the market's probably a little bit too bearish and and you know maybe overestimating how far those earnings come down so i think it's a hold for people and you're getting a good yield in the meantime um but again yeah it's always it's always tough these cyclicals the, the the difference in the share price and the fundamental performance given that you know where the market's looking
2: yeah when you both describe it as not a bad business hardly a ringing endorsement but I get where you're coming from it's a whole thing all right let's round it out with uh, a2 milk um, of course it did have that lucrative China Daegu channel um, which um, and the business was flying as a result but since COVID of course that all unwound Uh, has renewed its registration of its Chinese label for infant formula. Uh, That's been approved through to 2027. Uh, So Luke, what's your assessment of A2 Milk?
0: Um, Been a a tough few years for these guys. Um, A little bit like Appen in the sense of the share price has really come off and earnings have really bottomed out. And the question you ask yourself is, um, you know, where can those earnings recover to? Now, I was bearish on Appen saying I didn't think the earnings would recover, you know, the way the market was expecting. A2 Milk, I'm I'm a little bit more, um, you know, optimistic that I think that they can. I I don't think they'll ever get back to where they were. There was just some dynamics around the Daigou trade here in Australia that they'll just never be able to replicate. Again, they need to try and go direct into China, which will be a lower-margin product. Um, but I suspect, you know, this is a business that can, you know, see its earnings recover somewhat from where they've been over the last, um, you know, year or two. Uh, but the numbers still look pretty ugly. I mean, you go back to the half-year report, you know, sales and profits slightly up, but compared to the current market cap of three and a half billion, um, you know, you are paying a hefty, hefty valuation. Um, I'm sure Mark will have it in front of him what the current PE is. Um, so again. You're relying on that recovery. I think it's a hold. I think you've taken a lot of the pain in the share price now. Um, and and as and I think fundamentally those earnings have bottomed and will start to recover. So it is a hold, but it's not a comfortable one, Andrew. I think, again, you've got a lot of factors at play, particularly in that sort of, you know, we had Bega come out today with a downgrade. I think, you know, in this sort of commodity um, dairy space, we're very cyclical and, and, and some issues moving forward. All right. Back.
1: Uh, yep, agree with all that, and it's a business that we. Liked, it used to look good. And the Daigal trade, though, when we, did, when we reviewed it with members and we discussed it all, we recognized that it was a transient type thing. That, that kind of business model is not a sustainable model. So if you look at it and say, A2 Milk are benefiting from all these uh, Chinese uh, tourists or students who are buying stuff at retail, shipping it back to China, or then arbitrage on the price, that is not a sustainable business model. Mm. So you go, okay, that's great. We, you know, A2 Milk made a lot of money out of it for a while because it was a boom, but it was not sustainable. So then what we did is we bought all that out, tore all that out and bought the prices down. Then then you couldn't buy it because it was way too expensive. Mm. So not many people bought it. And the ones that did probably regretted it since then. We haven't looked at it since. Um, Unfortunately, at the moment, we're showing it returning uh, on on the uh, current results. And remember, it's on a 27 PE. To answer Luke's question on trailing earnings, mm-hmm. which is very, very high when you when you look at their growth, which is negative 2.4. That's what the average is over six years. That picks it, ticks takes in some of the run up and then the big drop, and then now it's slowly improving, but it's still only about 40% of what it was in earnings at the high, and I agree with Luke. I don't think you will ever get back to that again. Uh, so it it, it could st- stabilise and be okay. I think that's probably true, but not at 27 PE. So we, we're showing it returning. 4.4% on a mar- on default at the moment if you bought it today, and a negative 5% on a margin of safety. And if you wanted to get a uh, 10% return, which is sort of our minimum to even think about it anything, mm. um, that means you'd have to buy it for $3.77 and it's currently uh, $4.90. So $1.20 off would give you a 10% return going forward uh, yep. over the next five years, assuming they continue improving as they have been lately. But it's, not, it's pretty grim. I'd avoid. Avoid.
2: All right. Okay. Let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show then. We began with JB Hi-Fi, the retailer. Mark calling it a high performer. Strong earnings and sales stability saying, uh, look, he went with a screaming buy, but maybe he sort of pulled back a little on that. But it is a buy <laughs> for him. Uh, likewise, also a buy from Luke. So it is going to the investment committee, uh, both pointing out that that weakness in retail has been built into its price. Um, Appen, a very different story. A sell from Luke. Uh, look, he says it's it overplaying its AI credentials at the moment. And Mark pointing out that essentially AI has passed it by. It's moved on. Uh, and the company hasn't caught up, so it's an avoid. Uh, healthier, a, a no, maybe a hold there from uh, from Luke, um, uh, saying pointing out a stretch balance sheet. Uh, no, says Mark, carrying a lot of debts. Grain Corp, uh, Mark's saying it looks cheap, uh, but once gives us an egg stock, so it's a bit tricky to know where it's going to go. It does have a hold on it, as does Luke, calling it not a bad business. And A2 Milk there, uh, a hold, only just from Luke And uh, Mark saying used to look good, but it is now an avoid. All right, that is the show for today. Thanks to our guest Luke. Thanks for joining us from Merriweather Capital. Thank you, gents. Good show. Absolutely. And uh, Mark, thanks for joining us from Team Invest. You're welcome. Thank you. Good one. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover? Go to osbiz.co forward slash call or tweet us at osbiztv. Pulse is up next. Stay with us.